In the book of Joshua chapter 18, we find the Israelites already 17 chapters into the conquest. You know what Joshua is all about. The book of Deuteronomy chronicles the 40 years wandering in the wilderness when the people of Israel had not believed the Lord when they left Egypt. They didn't believe that the Lord was able to give them the promised land. They believed it was too big. They believed it was too great. They went and they saw the inhabitants of that land and they said, we can't take them. It's too much for us. It's too big for us. It's too great for us. And because they did not believe the Lord, God said, be it unto you according to your faith. You won't take it. Until you come to faith in the fact that you can do what God says you can do, you'll never do it. Until you begin to believe that you have what God says you have, you'll never have it. And what you must understand is that what God wants to give you always comes in the form of an inheritance. But an inheritance must be taken by force. An inheritance in the kingdom does not come by works. It does not naturally fall into your lap. It must be taken. And so God says to the children of Israel, I've given you the land. I've given it to you as an inheritance. I've given it to you as your possession. Now go take it. Now go drive out the inhabitants and take it. I've given it to you. Now take it. Look at your neighbor and say, I've given it to you. Now take it. We go 17 chapters into the conquest. And there have been many battles and many victories. The first battle was against Jericho. The people of Israel had never studied war before. They didn't know how to hold a sword or a spear or a shield or an axe or a battering ram. They, had, they didn't know the first thing about taking a city, but yet they've got to take this city, Jericho. And God knew that they weren't prepared for war. So he said, Joshua, here's the strategy. Tell the people to march and shout. That's it. March and shout. That's all they had to do because God wanted them to get their feet wet in the battle without cowering in fear because they'd never had, you know, you have soldiers who had never had to kill a man before. And so God said, I'll show you how to do it. I'll teach you warfare. The first time, I'm going to fight the battle for you. But after this, you're going to fight it. I'm going to empower you, but you're going to fight it. And so they win the battle of Jericho simply by marching and shouting. Marching and shouting. And God does the rest of the work for them. There are many battles after Jericho. Many victories. And by the time we get to Joshua chapter 18, five out of the twelve tribes of Israel have taken their inheritance. And years have gone by. But only five have taken their inheritance. The other seven are cowering in timidity and fear, hesitating and saying, maybe it's not the time yet. One day the Lord's going to bless us with our inheritance. One day. One day, God, but I just, we just, I just don't have a witness in my spirit that it's time. See, God has me in a holding pattern right now. God has me waiting right now. The people of God are waiting and think they're waiting on the Lord when in reality the Lord is waiting on the people of God. So here we come to Joshua 18, verse 1. It says, Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together in Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Verse 3. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect 
to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you. How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has already given you in the past? It is possible to neglect to possess in the present what God gave you in the past. Just because God gave it to you doesn't mean you have it. You still have to possess it. You can live outside of an inheritance that's already been delivered to you. And it comes through neglect. How long will you neglect to possess the inheritance? And he says to go and possess. You've got to do something in order to possess it. How long will you neglect to go and possess the inheritance which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? I'm here to tell you today that there is an inheritance that God has for you that you must begin to possess. You must make a decision today, I'm going to possess it. I'm going to lay hold of it. I'm going to get it. I'm not going to let it go. I'm going to possess it. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm not going to let it out of my sight because God has given it and and I I will be I, I you know, I will not allow myself to live in a place beneath the place where the Lord has set me. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29 explains to us what that inheritance is. Cuz I don't want you to take out swords and spears and go start killing folks trying to take cities. Deuteronomy 29.29, this is what it says. The secret things belong to the Lord. How many know that there are secret things that belong to the Lord and the Lord alone? That's why a lot of questions you ask Him, He don't tell you. The secret things belong to the Lord. There's some things that you can pray and fast till you're blue in the face, and God isn't going to tell you. Some questions you have that he just is not going to answer. Why? Because even though he is all-knowing, he is not all-revealing. He never promised to reveal everything. He said, I'll show you great and mighty things which you didn't know, but he never said, but he never said he'll show you everything. There's some questions he won't answer. Some stuff he won't tell you. He says, these are the secret things that belong to me. Jesus says to his disciples, they said, Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not for you to know. There's some stuff you ask the Lord, he says, it ain't none of your business. Mind your business. This is grown folk stuff. (laughs) It's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has set in his own power Meaning there's some stuff that God says, this is mine and mine alone. I'm not going to share it with anybody. I'm not going to give it to anybody. That stuff belongs to God and God alone. Don't waste your time wondering about it. People ask me some questions. Well, why did this? How, well, what about this? How come this? I say, I don't know. I'm going to ask the Lord when I get there. I don't know. I don't claim to know everything. There's a lot of stuff I don't know. One day I'm going to ask the Lord when I see him. And who knows if he's going to tell me then or not. It's his business. (laughs) But, back to Deuteronomy 29, 29. The revealed things belong to us. 
and to our children forevermore. Say this, the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever. The revealed things belong to us. The revealed things, that is the inheritance that the Lord has given us. They belong to us and to our children, meaning they are passed down within a lineage in perpetuity. They belong to us. The revealed things belong to us. I never understood this more clearly than I do at this moment in my very life. When God put me under my spiritual father by inheritance, he made everything that he revealed to my spiritual father belong to me. It belongs to me. Whatever revelation he has, it's mine. It belongs to me. Whatever holiness or righteousness he has, it's mine. Whatever gifts of the Spirit God has given him, it's mine by virtue of inheritance. It's part of the revealed things that belong to him and to his children forevermore. And because I'm one of the sons, that inheritance belongs to me. That's why Elijah said to Elisha, I want that anointing that's on your life. I want the mantle that you're carrying. I want it. I want it. Why? Because I'm a son. It belongs to me. It belongs to me by virtue of the spirit of sonship. The revealed things belong to us and to our children forevermore. But what I didn't realize was that I had to go and possess it. I thought it would just kind of fall into my lap. It would just rub off on me. I thought if I just hang out with him, it'll rub off on me. And what I didn't realize is that I have to go into my prayer closet and begin to lay hold of it. I have to begin to possess it. I have to begin to take it. And he said to me just yesterday, he said, how long are you going to wait before you possess the inheritance that the Lord has given you? How long are you going to wait? How long are you going to attend this church but never lay hold of the stuff that's being given to you? How long are you going to hear the word but never possess it? The revealed things. You know, we say that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. I want to, I want to shift that. It's not a religion. It's a revelation. It's not about religion, it's about revelation. And revelation is when God unveils Himself, when He opens the eyes of your heart, when He shows you great and mighty things that you did not know. And here's how you know when it comes to you as revelation. It comes to you as revelation when you begin to possess it. If you're not possessing it, it's not revelation. When it comes as revelation, not only does your mind go temporary. See, we can all have temporary, temporary aha moments. Oh, wow. Oh, that's deep. That's good. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's profound. That's deep. Oh, that's, that's wisdom. I've got to tweet that. I've got to Facebook that. I've got to write that down in my journal. That's great. And then a week later, what was that that you said last week was deep? I don't know. I can't remember. It wasn't revelation. It might have been a good insight, but it didn't hit you as revelation yet because you're not possessing it. You heard it and said amen to it, but you didn't possess it. You heard it and agreed with it, but you didn't possess it. You didn't lay hold of it. You didn't lay claim to it. You didn't begin to own it yet. But when God gives it to you as revelation, and only God can give you revelation, man can't give you revelation. And because man can't give you revelation, man can't give you your inheritance either. Even though he puts you under spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers and spiritual parents, those spiritual fathers and mothers can't give you a dang thing. Paul says to the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, I believe it is, he says, this is the last time you're going to see my face. 
And they all wept. He said, but I now commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to give you an inheritance. He never said, I'm leaving you an inheritance. He never said, I'm giving you an inheritance. I can't give you an inheritance, but God can. But here's how God gives you an inheritance. When you recognize something as a revealed thing and you make a decision, I'm going to own that. I'm going to go into my prayer closet and not come out till that's mine. I'm going to lay hold of that. I'm going to go into my prayer closet and pray and say, God, give that to me by revelation. Give it to me by revelation. Give it to me by revelation. And when God gives it to me by revelation, then all of a sudden I naturally begin to live it. I begin to possess it. But it takes conquest. And this is the thing that the people of God are not accustomed to. See, if we don't walk in revelation, it's not because we don't know how to recognize it. It's because we don't think we have the energy to fight for it. We don't have the energy to fight for it. We don't have the energy to fight the good fight of faith, to lay hold of eternal life. Paul said to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight for it. Fight for it. Fight for it. Fight to lay hold of it. Fight to possess it. Fight to own it. Say, God, I'm not going to go in and out of this revelation. I'm not going to come into it and be excited and then all of a sudden move out of it and be discouraged. I'm not going to come into it and be built up and established and then move out of it and be broken down and discouraged. I'm not going to go back and forth, in and out, up and down, up and down, and back and forth, and in and out, wishy-washy, double-minded, and unstable in all my ways. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to possess it. I'm going to own it. I'm going to make it mine. The revealed things belong to you. The revealed things belong to you. What are some of the revealed things? Let's talk about it. How about this? Your old man was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be done away with. You hear that, and it sounds good, but when you go into your prayer closet until you own it and you possess it, it comes to you as revelation. All of a sudden, you begin to live out it. Wait a minute. My old man was crucified with Christ. You know why you don't believe it? Because your experience doesn't live up to it. See, this is the biggest problem in the church in America. We allow our experience to teach us theology, and then we take our experience and refute Scripture with it. Well, this doesn't sound true. How can this be true when I just went through this? Instead of learning our theology from Scripture and using it to refute our experience, wait a minute, the Scripture says this, what I went through is all wrong. Are you hearing me today? Your old man was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be done away with. The body of sin has been done away with. You're not in your sins anymore. The body of sin has been done away with. You died to sin. You can't live any longer therein. It doesn't make any sense until God gives it to you as revelation. And when he, See, this is the thing. You think, well, I just, what I need to do is just fight sin and fight it and fight it and fight it and fight it and I'm going to get up and fight it again and get up and fight it again. No, you're fighting the wrong battle. God never calls you to fight sin. He calls you to fight for faith and fight for revelation and fight to possess it. And when you begin to possess it, you'll live out of it. I'm not focused on the enemy anymore. I'm focused on receiving the revelation that God would give me. Receive that by revelation. Your old man was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be done away with. It's been done away with. How about this? God is pleased with you. I could tell you that till you're blue in the face, but until you receive it by revelation, 
God is pleased with you. How do I know he's pleased with you? Because when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, he gave you the spirit of his son. And he's always pleased with his son. And therefore he's pleased with everyone who has the spirit of his son. So that if God is ever displeased with you, he first has to be displeased with his son. His anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. We like to reverse it and think his anger is for a lifetime, but his favor is for a moment. So whenever you experience the favor of God, you think, how long is this going to last? But whenever you experience his anger, you think, now that's more like it. Revelation says, no, no, no. If he's ever favored me, he always favored me. If there was ever a moment he's favored me, that means he still favors me and he will always favor me. Why? Because his favor is not momentary. His favor is for a lifetime. Get that by revelation. How's that? Matter of fact, you want to get something by revelation? First John, he says, he who is born of God cannot sin. <laughs> Go home and get that by revelation. He said, well, I can still sin. Who told you that? Who told you you can still sin? Who told you that? Who t- why do you believe that? You know why you can still sin? Because you believe it. And it will be to you according to your faith. It's all a battle for faith. It's all about, that sounds like heresy, doesn't it? Even though I read it right out of the Bible. There's some things in Scripture that are just unbiblical. You read it right out of the Bible and go, that's not biblical. You know what we mean by biblical? We mean our perception of what the Bible says because we're used to reading the Bible through the lens of our tradition and through the lens of our experience and not through the lens of revelation. But when revelation comes, it cuts right through your experience and it cuts right through your tradition and God gives you truth. And he says, whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. So that when God wants to make you free, he gives you the spirit of his Son. And if you're a son, it means you can never be in bondage to anything again. The Son is never in bondage. Never in bondage. You can't be in bondage. But you've got to get that by revelation. You've got to learn how to possess the revealed things. You've got to learn how to go home and get into the prayer closet and learn to possess it. And what spiritual maturity is, all of us in this room have a level of spiritual immaturity, including myself. You know why I say that? Because there's a level to which I just don't believe these things. You know what God is working on in me? He's teaching me how to believe these things and lay hold of them by faith so that I begin to live out of them. He's teaching me. He's teaching me how to transcend the outer court and how to go into the inner court and how to transcend the inner court and go into the Holy of Holies so that I go into the actual throne room of God to receive grace in time of need. He's teaching me how to actually take His Word and believe it. God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. You're in Him, that means there's no darkness in you. See, we're so used to seeing things from a visible, natural, fleshly perspective. And when we view ourselves in the flesh, we see all kinds of darkness and all kinds of sin and all kinds of wickedness. And we talk about, when we talk to people about ourselves, we say, I'm still working on this, and God's still working on this, and I'm still working on this. But yet the Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 1 that He predestined you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. 
In his sight, he sees you as holy and blameless, but we see ourselves as full of blame and unholy and unrighteous, and I got this issue and that issue and this, and God is not even looking at that anymore. But it's because we have faith for this whole constellation of stuff that's wrong with us, and we don't have faith for the way God sees us. And so we can't know anyone else by the Spirit because we refuse to know ourselves by the Spirit. The revealed things belong to us. They belong to us. But we tend to possess the non-revealed things and eschew the revealed things. We're constantly pushing away revelation because it's not in keeping with what we see in the natural. It's because our eyes are so focused on the seen. We have trained ourselves to focus on the things that are seen and to ignore the things that are unseen. Why? Because it seems like my only stability comes from the physical world. I would be unstable if I was constantly focusing on unseen realities. But you know what? The opposite is true. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. The visible realm is the most unstable of all. Why? Because the earth is passing away. What can I, what can I make my anchor? Money? It's, you take but a glance at, cast but a glance at riches and it takes wings and flies away. <laughs> I mean, shoot, in the midst of this recession, even the most astute financial planners have suffered. So, you know, you make all the right decisions with your money and still go under. <laughs> I got a witness. <laughs> but that's not where our stability is. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, how do we lay hold of revelation and begin to possess it? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9 says, You are God's workmanship. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, By grace you have been saved, right? How were you saved? Did you just decide to give Jesus a try? Did you decide, you know what, the gospel sounds good. I think I'll believe it. Was it your choice or was it his choice? By grace you have been saved. You know, this whole thing about Calvinism and Arminianism, throw it out. Throw out the whole thing. Why? Because yes, you've got to choose Jesus, but you can only choose him by his grace. So yes, they're both right. You hearing me? And they're both wrong to exclude the other. By grace you have been saved through faith. Grace is only apprehended through faith. What does faith do? Faith identifies grace and apprehends it. And everything that happens in your life, not just salvation. See, there's this misconception that salvation is by grace, but everything else is by works. It's, from, it's by grace from first to last. And it's by faith from first to last. That way of thinking is what got the Galatians on Paul's bad side. That's why he said, who bewitched you? You began in the spirit, but now you think you can be perfected in the flesh? What he says is you started this walk with Christ by grace through faith, and then you said, thank you, Jesus, I got it from here. I'll take it from here by my works. Grace, I, I'm sorry, faith identifies grace and apprehends it. If I'm walking in faith, I will always see where the grace of God is manifesting and apprehend it. 
There's grace for this. Somebody said, you're so good at fasting. I said, no, I'm not. I'm terrible at fasting. I'm the worst faster you'll ever meet. He said, well, you just fasted for 38 days. So? You know how many times I failed at fasting? You know how many times I've told my wife I'm going on a 10-day fast today and I was eating before the day was over? You know how many times I've done that? Millions. I said, but you went on a 21-day water fast. Yeah, because my faith recognized the grace for it and apprehended it. I can only do it by grace. I can't fast in the flesh. It wouldn't please God anyway. God isn't pleased by fasting. He's only pleased by faith. And he's pleased by fasting when it flows out of faith. But it only flows out of faith when your faith apprehends the grace to do it. You say, oh, you're a prayer warrior. You can pray for hours. I'm a terrible prayer person. I don't naturally want to pray. I get on my knees, I get bored. I'd rather do something else. I'm I'm fighting the urge to turn on the television and eat something. And especially when I'm fasting, I want to eat and watch TV. I don't want to pray. The flesh doesn't. But when my faith recognizes the grace of God and grabs a hold of it, I can pray all day. When there's grace for it. Grace is available to us all the time. The problem is our faith doesn't recognize it and lay hold of it. And when, and in the absence of the recognition of faith, we try to do it by works. So we say, well, God wants me to fast. I'm just going to fast. Not going to eat, just going to fight food. And God says, that doesn't please me at all. It's the flesh. You think, well, I'm a good Christian now. No, maybe you're a good Pharisee. Good hypocrites. But when the grace comes for it, all of a sudden, I remember, I remember when I went on the 21-day fast, just water. I remember the moment the grace came for it. I was sitting in my room and I was studying. And all of a sudden I just felt this, I just sensed the grace of God. My faith laid hold of it. And I just heard the Lord saying, 21 day fast. And I just stopped eating at that moment. But I didn't go for a last meal. You know what we like to do the night before we start a fast? (laughs) You know, you eat like a whole extra large pizza. You know, five bottles of soda, six candy bars. In other words, you know, if you were a camel, you could grow a hump. You think you're going to eat enough to sustain you for the whole time. At that moment, I stopped eating. And three days later, my wife says, you haven't eaten. I said, yeah. She said, are you fasting? I said, yeah. She said, for how long? And I was scared to say it. I said, 21 days, I think. She said, Really? I said, yeah. In other words, I was standing on the grace that I had received. Three days into the fast, I didn't feel it, but it's still there. I could have never made it. I'm terrible. Have you guys seen me eat? You've been around me when food is in the room? I got a stronghold in that area. I call it the kingdom. Man, Thanksgiving, I was eating with two forks. <laughs> there, was an, 
The Shekinah glory entered my home Wednesday evening about 7 o'clock when my mom came in with two chickens, two roasted chickens, and a bowl of greens and cornbread. And she made the cornbread on the stove, and the glory of God just increased throughout the night. (laughs) She made heart attack cornbread. You know what heart attack cornbread is? She took a big old bag of corn and poured it in the skillet and then put in a pound and a half of butter. I said, I don't want to see any more. I don't want to see any more. She said, if you eat this more than once a year, you'll have a, you'll have a bypass surgery by the end of the year. You know, you know, you eat this once a year, that's it. You risk your life to eat it. <laughs> but you can, I said, Mom, you might as well just take fresh cholesterol and just rub it directly into your heart. <laughs> The point I'm making is that if we would learn how to depend upon the grace of God, we would do far more. See, most believers walk around under a cloud of condemnation because we feel like I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not fervent enough. I don't pray enough. I don't read the Bible enough. And all of that condemnation is a works orientation. Listen, let me just let you in on a little secret. I am probably more carnal than you are. I'm less spiritually disciplined than you are. The only thing that is of any value in my life is the grace of God. The grace of God. The grace of God. And I ask the Lord every day for the faith to identify it. When I've identified the grace of God, I can do whatever the grace of God empowers me to do. When your faith recognizes grace and apprehends it, what transpires in your spirit is called revelation. Because you've just possessed something. You've just laid hold of something and appropriated it to your own life. It's all by God's grace. I can't do anything without His grace. I'm washed out without His grace. I'm completely broke, busted, and disgusted without the grace of God. I can't do anything more than you can do. Matter of fact, I can do less than you can do. Paul said, this is a trustworthy saying, that Christ came to save sinners and I'm the worst one. This is the great apostle Paul. He says, I'm the least of all the apostles and not worthy to be called an apostle because I've persecuted the church. But he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's all by grace. And his grace was not without effect in me, but I labored more than them all. But yet not I, but the grace of God laboring through me. When I labor, it's grace laboring. It's not me laboring. It's not my strength. It's God's strength. It's not my hands. It's God's hands. It's not my voice. It's God's voice. And it's not my works. It's God's works. Jesus said, I don't do anything on my own. I only do what the Father does. I only do what I see the Father doing. And revelation takes place when your faith recognizes the grace of God and says, this is what the Father's doing. This is what the Father's doing. When the grace is there to heal the sick and my faith recognizes it, I can heal the sick. When the grace is there to prophesy and my faith recognizes it, I can prophesy. When the grace is there to cast out demons and my faith recognizes it, I can cast out demons. When the grace is there to preach the gospel and I, my faith recognizes it, I can preach all day and all night and all day when the grace is there to pray and my faith recognizes it i can pray all day and all night and all day and all night when the grace is there to fast and my faith recognizes it i can fast when the grace is there i can do all things through christ who gives me strength 
But you've got to learn how to recognize and apprehend the grace of God. And it's always there. John says, out of the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Out of the fullness of his grace, his grace is always there. We're constantly looking to the natural and coming up with natural excuses for not being able to do what God wants us to do. Oh, well, I'm physically tired. Well, all God has to do is send an angel to touch you and strengthen you. Give you a little wafer. Right, Shinway? God can give you a wafer. Elijah went to sleep under the broom tree and the angel woke him up and had bread and water. All he's got to do is send an angel with some bread and water. Dr. Ken Searle talked about when he was working on his dissertation, either his dissertation or his uh, master's thesis or something. And, And he went home one night and the Lord said, if you want to work on it all night tonight, I'll hang with you. Now, he's thinking, I've got to work all day tomorrow. But God came and offered him grace to do it. His faith said, I'll take that. And he sat at his computer and worked all night long. And in the morning, he took a shower and went to work. And he said he was just as fresh. Went home, said, Lord, you want to do it again? The Lord said, no, go to sleep. (laughs) Now, had he tried to do it the second night, he'd have been in the flesh. Peter walked on water only because the Lord said, come. You say, well, I wish I had the faith like Peter to walk on water. Peter only had the faith because the Lord said, come. Faith is not faith until it recognizes grace. It's not faith for faith's sake. Well, I've got faith to do this, and so I'm going to do it in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to command it to happen in Jesus. That's witchcraft. You're casting spells. In Jesus' name, do this. In Jesus' name, open. In Jesus' and no grace. You haven't sensed any grace. You haven't apprehended any grace. You haven't heard the Lord say do it. You're not with, you just think you got faith. And this, when it's faith without grace, it's faith in faith. And it's a faith that flows from the flesh and it doesn't please God. Matter of fact, it's an abomination to Him. But it, when it's a faith that recognizes the grace of God and lays hold of it, it's able to empower you to do all things, all things. When your faith apprehends God's grace, it's called revelation. Something is unveiled on the inside of you and you possess it. And because you possess it, you can do whatever it is that God's calling you to do, whatever it is. So here's the key, and this is what I'm coming to this morning. God wants to break condemnation off of you He wants to break shame off of you. And I just sense so thick over this house that many of you walk in self-condemnation, in self-criticism. You think you're not spiritual enough. You think you're not capable enough. You think you're not qualified enough. You think you're not gifted enough. You think whatever it is that the devil has come and fed you all of those lies. And I just break all of that off you tonight, this morning, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I replace it with this truth and this revelation that you're going to go home and lay hold of. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. All you have to do is recognize the grace of God and apprehend it. And when you recognize the grace of God, you can run marathons. You can scale mountains. David said, through my God, I can run against a troop. He said, blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war. I can bend a bow of bronze. When the anointing comes on me, I can do anything that God anoints me to do. I can kill a lion and a bear. I can take the head off of Goliaths. I can shout and city walls will fall. 
but it's simply because I've apprehended the grace of God through faith, and I don't step outside of that grace. If God gives you the grace to do one thing, if you do two, you're in the flesh. If God gives you the grace to do ten things and you do nine, you're lazy. You do 11, you're in the flesh. If you do 9, you're in the flesh. You're lazy. But if God graces you to do 10 things, then you do 10. Now you're in the Spirit. But the moment you step out of the Spirit and try to do it by your own power, it's going to crush you. And everybody around you is going to say, see, you were doing too much. (laughs) I told you you shouldn't be trying to do all of that. No, you just stepped outside of grace and tried to do it by works. At a certain point, you said, God, I got it from here. Thank you for getting me this far, but I think I got it now. You can take the training wheels off. (laughs) Then a Mack truck comes out of nowhere. (laughs) God, what happened? (laughs) I told you it's all by grace. The flesh profits nothing. The flesh is worthless. It's what God has put away. He nailed it to the cross. It's over and done with. The old man was nailed to the cross so that the body of sin might be done away with. We began in the Spirit. We're going to walk in the Spirit and be perfected by the Spirit. And walking in the Spirit means believing, identifying the grace of God, apprehending it, and it's released in us by revelation that we possess by faith. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just speak your blessing over this people today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bless your people with peace. I remove every power of condemnation and every accusation of the enemy that would rob us of our freedom. You've given us the freedom to do and the freedom not to do. The only thing that you require of us is that we believe. Lord, many of us here, we've lived under this cloud that there's more that you require of me that I'm not doing. Maybe the Lord wants me to do this. Maybe the Lord wants me to do that. Maybe I'm not doing enough. Maybe I need to do more. But Lord, some of the disciples asked you, what can we do to see to it that we're working the works that God requires? We just want to make sure that we're good with the big man upstairs. We want to make sure we're doing what he wants us to do. We want to make sure that we're obeying him. Jesus said, you want to work the works God requires? I said, yes, we do. Please tell us what to do. He said, here's the works that God requires. Believe the one he sent. Believe on the one he sent. When Peter preached the first Pentecost sermon, the people were cut to the heart and they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? What can we do? We know God is angry with us. What can we do? We know we've sinned against God. What can we do? And they meant it. What can we do? Meaning, give us something to do. Tell us some rituals to go through. Give, tell, give us, send us, us to some good deeds. Tell us we're unclean and we've got to stay outside the camp for a certain amount of time. Give us something we can do in our own power. Peter said, here's what you do. Just repent and believe. Just repent and believe. And you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Holy Spirit comes with the supernatural empowerment to do what God wants you to do, but to do it not by might, not by power, but by His Spirit. Because it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's God who works in you 
and teaches you to do what he wants you to do by his power. So, Father, I just release these sons and daughters of yours into the flow of your kingdom and into the flow of your grace. Your grace, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to worldly passions and to live upright and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us that he might present to himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is right. Lord, you are presenting us to yourself. And we are being presented to you by faith, through grace, not of ourselves. We love you. We receive you. We believe you today. And I declare freedom over your people right now in Jesus' name. And I command every power of bondage, let my people go, says the Lord, in Jesus' name. And I declare you are free, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so you will not be entangled again in a yoke of bondage, but you will walk steadfastly in the liberty by which Christ has set you free. I speak all of these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. I declare that it is so. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet right now.